This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello, I'm James Seif and welcome to Coffee House Shots with me and Katie Balls. So Katie, Westminster is waiting, waiting for Grey. Yesterday, we thought we might have months to wait for Grey because Metropolitan Police were going to investigate and the assumption was the Grey report couldn't be published until then. Then it emerged that the Metropolitan Police didn't object to its publication. There was lots of speculation that Boris Johnson would receive the report last night. He hasn't. We're recording this podcast just after PMQs on Wednesday and and number 10 still haven't got it. But the expectation is that it is coming and coming soon. Uh, What are you hearing, Katie? I think no one can say of any certainty when this report is going out. Ultimately, we saw a situation where after the police said they were going to investigate, there was a sense by those around Sue Gray initially, and I think Cabinet Office, that this meant the report would not come out until that completed. Then there seems to be a change of heart. The Met Police have said they don't have such an issue of it. Given that Sue Gray has concluded her report, it then seemed as though it could quickly go to number 10. But I think what is holding up are a few things. So obviously going over that to see if there is anything that is going to prejudice or impact the Met's investigation. And ultimately, number 10 have not received it at the time of us speaking. When Boris Johnson was in Prime Minister's questions, he hadn't received it. So we're in a world where I think lots of people think you could perhaps get it tomorrow, something today. If you go on social media, you'll hear lots of very confident predictions, um, all contradicting one another. But really... To be honest, the expectation is this week, but I don't really have that much to go on. What do you think, James? So yesterday, there was kind of what one might say informed speculation about timing. I think today there is much less of that, and I think, I think we, we don't know. I think one thing that I think is relevant is yesterday, people, Tory MPs who said wait for Grey, were saying that you know, we feel that they, they still felt honour bound to wait for Grey. When I've gone back to some of those people today and said, look, if you do get the Grey Report in the, in the coming days and it, and, it, and it appears in kind of relatively full form, e.g. it's not kind of heavily redacted or only about the culture because it can't touch on anything that the, the, the police want to look at, you know, if it is something basically that is pretty much the full report, I said to these people, would you then feel that you had done your waiting and that you could make your decision about whether or not to write a letter? And the answer came back, yes. And so I think that the moment of, of decision time for Tory MPs will come off the grey. I, I don't doubt that some people will say you should wait for Metropolitan Police Inquiry. But the, the, broad, the broad view on the Tory bench at the moment seems to be among those who said wait for grey, that when grey comes out, that is the moment for them to make their decision about whether or not to send a letter. I think the Metropolitan Police, the announcement of the Metropolitan Police Inquiry hasn't determined things decisively, but I think has shifted the balance and made it more likely than it was previously that the 54 letters mark will be reached. In part because Tory MPs are like, A, look, there are clearly enough serious things in grey that the Metropolitan Police needs to come in and have a look. And secondly, the Metropolitan Police investigation means that this issue is, is going to go on for months. And that's something that worries Tory MPs a lot. And then I think the third thing is, one of the arguments being advanced by Boris Johnson's supporters was, look, ultimately these issues don't rise to a level of importance over which a prime minister should be removed. I think it is harder to maintain that line of argument when you have the the police looking at. 
And sitting in the chamber watching Prime Minister's Questions, James, I was quite struck by how it was a more supportive Prime Minister's Questions than previous. I think that you could see Keir Starmer obviously you know, pushing the Prime Minister, but then also quite a few of the Labour MPs, such as Richard Bergen, calling on him to resign. And I think, in a way, Richard Bergen, a former member of you know Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet, is making a grand statement about how the Prime Minister should resign. It just naturally brings the Tory MPs a bit more together and on the PM side. Um, so are you picking up a sense of perhaps, you know, save Boris that operation by his long-standing allies and a combination of the tribal nature of this means that he is garnering a bit more support than he was? I think the save Boris operation has got about 100 Tory MPs, you know, fully swinging behind the Prime Minister, making noise in the chamber, all of those things on his behalf. You know, for example, I'm told that, you know, the Tory the tea room now, the Tory end of a tea room is now, you know, heavily occupied by Boris loyalists. And so, you know, previously, I think that there have been People who wanted Boris Johnson to go, who'd been popping into the tea room to try and kind of chat up people, you know, persuade them to write letters. You know, that's not happening anymore because the tea room has become, the, there is now a kind of physical presence of Boris loyalists in there at, at pretty much all times. But one thing I am struck by is if you're saying that, uh, as their line is, that they've got 100 MPs who they trust enough to kind of feed information back to them about the intentions of colleagues and the like, that does leave more than 250 Tory MPs who they have a kind of some kind of question mark against. And I mean, if you are organising the kind of the, the loyalty drive for the leader to have that number that you're that you have some so at least some concern about is, I think, problematic. Now, James, the other thing that's causing an issue which broke slightly near the end of Prime Minister's questions is ultimately about pen filing and the animals. This goes back to Afghanistan. And there were lots of reports at the time that Boris Johnson had authorised um, the evacuation of these pets. And there was a kickback saying pets being prioritised over people. And that was despicable. Boris Johnson denied an interview Sky News saying that was nonsense. But now more evidence has come to light. So the Foreign Affairs Secretary done an inquiry and they published them. But these emails came out, I think, just as PMQs was going on. But it's kind of an interesting sign that, that the Labour operation is still perhaps not as nimble on its feet as it could be. No, no MP challenged Boris Johnson on it. These emails are from Lord Goldsmith's Foreign Office Minister and one of Boris Johnson's kind of closest allies in government from his private office. And they talk about the Prime Minister having authorised uh, the evacuation of an animal, an animal charity evacuation from Afghanistan. Now, I think to put it mildly, it's quite hard to reconcile these with the statement that Boris Johnson made in a Sky News clip and a, a BBC News clip. And I think the problem for number 10 is that this comes at the worst possible moment for them. First of all, there are a lot of Tory MPs who have military backgrounds or foreign office backgrounds and feel deeply uneasy about what happened in Afghanistan and the people who had helped the UK or the broader Western effort there who didn't get out. And I think that is going to reawaken these doubts. I think the second problem for number 10 is this is a moment when they need to be able to say to people nothing more to come. And I think I'm struck by how many Tory MPs who are on the fence 
have mentioned to me the thing that Douglas Ross, the leader of the Scottish Tories, said, who has called on Boris Johnson to go. And he said that when he, when he made the statement calling Boris Johnson to go, so obviously he's not an entirely neutral observer in this, he said that one of the things that had made his mind up was that when he'd asked Boris Johnson for an assurance there was nothing more to come, Boris Johnson couldn't give it. So I, I, mean, I, mean, I think this, this disclosure has come at a, at a very difficult time for number 10 because, you know, there's a lot about, you know, so what you know might more come out about things and this inquiry and these emails cause a problem on that front now katie in the chamber at prime questions boris johnson was on combative form this was not kind of contrite boris johnson this was boris johnson as saying without implying at the least that basically he was thinking about the big issues like were Russia going to invade Ukraine, what the UK could do to bring the West together to deter this, rather than these questions about parties that Keir Starmer wants to ask him about. How do you think that argument is going down with Tory MPs? And the supplementary question would be, do you think that means that when Boris Johnson comes to the Parliament to make a statement on Grey, we're going to get combative Boris Johnson rather than contrite Boris Johnson? I think what Boris Johnson and his team around him seem to be pushing is this idea that there is, uh, and I think also just various supporters of Boris Johnson, it's this idea that, you know, he is being ganged up on. Everyone here has a political agenda. If you look at Christian Wakeford's defection last week from Tory to Labour and how that brought the party back together to a degree, I think there's a lot of, you know, this is opposition politics and people who've hated Boris Johnson for a long time. And I think it also doesn't take long before you hear the phrase campaigning newspapers and this idea that, you know, the, this is, you know, the media who are just, you know, trying to push their own agendas. So I think there's obviously that going on. I think it does play quite well to some MPs. I think the sense that, I think particularly some of the MPs who have, haven't been around that long in Parliament, who haven't gone through as many scandals, I think when they hear that, they wonder, oh, maybe it is a bit like, say, you know, prorogation of Parliament. Maybe this is something where we just have to stand our ground. And do you think it's making some people think twice? But for others, it really depends on your temperament, just as it might have one MP. I think others find it a bit as though, actually, my constituents are still complaining about this. Can you just apologise and sound like you mean it more? And as you say, James, when it comes to the Sue Gray report, I think you could see this effort by, which you're hearing get in some of the outriders for Boris Johnson. I mean, there's some really interesting defence of Boris Johnson going around. We had Connor Burns, I think, wins the prize for the most novel, saying that the Prime Minister was ambushed by a cake, which has quickly spread. Um, Nigel Lawson saying her cookbook might be ambushed by cake going forward. But also, I think, probably more notably in terms of the defence we're going to hear from Boris Johnson's team, I don't think the ambush is going to be the main one, um, is this idea that, you know, oh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big crime. It wasn't serious. You know, this is a penalty. Like, he, he didn't rob a bank. And you'll begin to hear some of his supporters saying that. So that to me suggests that we're moving away from I'm so sorry, you know, for everything that happened under my watch to let's get some perspective here, which can be a compelling argument. But in doing that, you are also brushing away, you know, or playing down what you what you have or been accused of having done. And therefore, I think it can be a little bit risky just in the sense that the problem Boris Johnson finds himself in is effectively it might just be a penalty fixed notice, but A, he's the Prime Minister, and two, lots of people feel as though they didn't do things that were quite important to them. So so does it work in that sense? What do you think? Do you think we're going to get unapologetic Boris Johnson? I think he will try and do both, because like, he'll try and do kind of contrition, and then the, the, his kind of big causing. I thought I was also very struck by Jacob Rees-Mogg last night on Newsnight, 
basically trying to say to Tory MPs, well, if you get rid of Boris Johnson, you'll have to go to the electorate. There'll have to be a new election. And I think that is an argument, again, that has been made in private to Tory MPs by this shadow working operation. I think it has had some purchase on some members of the 2019 intake. But I think lots of other Tory MPs regard it as slightly ridiculous. So they're like, look, the Tory party's got a majority of almost 80. Why would a new leader choose to go to the country? Um, new prime ministers go to the country because their parliamentary position is not that strong. Remember, yesterday Theresa May waited 11 months to go to the country, but she went to the country because she had a, a tiny majority. You know, I think it was like, was it, what was it, 15 or... Yeah, and she ultimately realised with Philip Hammond um, when he tried to make a move that wasn't in the manifesto that she wasn't going to be able to get it through because she didn't have the authority. And she wanted to get Brexit through and she was aware of how difficult that issue was for her party and so a bigger majority would have made her life easier. So, And I think there is a danger that, much as you told a wonderful story in your cover piece magazine last last week about how a whip had told members of 2019 intake but, oh, if you write a letter to a 922 executive, uh, 922 chairman, it will be discussed at the next executive meeting. So, e.g., don't think your letter is anonymous. Various new MPs checked that fact, found out it was true. I think there is a danger that these kind of tactics rebound as MPs are like, oh, come on, that's not right. And I think, I think, there is, I think it is a risky strategy. I think there is a, a danger for Boris Johnson that some of his most aggressive defenders in the cabinet are making the situation worse. You know, I think that Douglas Ross's line, I'm sorry, Jacob Rees-Mogg's line that Douglas Ross was a lightweight went down very badly, not just with Scottish Tory MPs, but but English ones too, because they just felt it was too blue on blue. Yes, and James, I also wonder, just on the Jacob Rees-Mogg point, I mean, I had one MP say to me, well, he's just making me think about a general election, and that makes me think I don't want Boris Johnson to lead us into it. So there's also a sense, I think, that if we're starting to talking about going to the polls, whether that's, you know, soon or in two years' time, it is, start, it is meaning that MPs are getting to the point where they're having to weigh up and I don't it's necessarily all good for Boris Johnson to talk about the next election. Yeah, because Boris Johnson, I mean, as we've said ad nauseum on this podcast, you know, Boris Johnson's relationship with his party is highly transactional. It's based on him being an electoral asset. I think if that sense goes, then I think things become, you know, even more difficult for him than they are today. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening.